Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank, Ideas Bank here. On today's show, esports moves into dollar stores and Apple capitulates in China. But first, rent. It's too damn high. So that was Jimmy McMillan, a candidate for mayor in New York City in 2005. And since then, rents in New York and elsewhere have only gotten higher. In San Francisco, for example, the median cost of a one-bedroom apartment is now $3,533 per month, according to Zumper. That works out to over forty two dollars per year. In New York, it's nearly $3,000 and over $2,300 in Washington, D.C. And most importantly, it's not just on the coasts. The single largest monthly increase in September for one-bedroom rentals was in Lincoln, Nebraska, where it'll now cost you $740 or nearly $9,000 annually. Nationwide, around half of all renters spend more than 30% of their income, more than 30% on housing. And that's a threshold that the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development calls a high-cost burden. And all of that brings us to California, where Governor Gavin Newsom this week signed legislation capping annual rent increases at 5% per year plus inflation for the next decade. There are also some other renter protections in there and partial carve outs for cities that already had their own rent control rules. But really, this is the third. So this is part of a trend. Both Oregon and New York also have done something similar. And we're even hearing talk of national rent control from leftist Democrats like Bernie Sanders. Why it matters is that this could affect over 40 million Americans, but there is deep disagreement over the efficacy of rent control. Proponents just point to the numbers and say the free market has not worked out. Opponents argue that rent control causes landlords to stop maintaining their properties and disincentivizes them from building new ones. The bottom line here, rent control is a band-aid, but so far it's the only thing that politicians are doing to stop the bleeding. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios City's editor, Kim Hart. But first, this. This episode is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. Know everything about coding, but not so much about banking? For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has been helping high-growth companies navigate through each stage of the startup journey. Stay tuned to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. We're joined now by Axios City's editor, Kim Hart. People have always complained about their rents ever since there have been rents to pay, but it seems to be reaching more of a fever pitch now and prices have continued to rise year over year. Is there a simple explanation for why the costs keep going up so substantially? Well, I think the the simplest one could probably be that there's just a really large influx of people moving into cities these days. And if you look at where the bulk of the jobs are, they are concentrated in a handful, maybe a, a dozen or two cities across the country. Most of them are concentrated on the coasts. And so when you have that many people trying to you know move there as young adults, starting their careers, and also people who don't want to leave because that's where their career are and there aren't a lot of jobs to move to in other cities that are the right fit for them, it creates a supply and demand problem. And that's what we're seeing, especially in places like California, Seattle, Portland, and New York. And those are where, with the exception of Seattle, those are where you've seen some rent control increases this past year. Let's talk about the rent control increases. Is this kind of a band-aid on the problem? Because you say people moving in the cities, it seems the fundamental problem is A, adding lots of jobs without housing supply and be perhaps not good enough public transportation to get people out to the suburbs. Yeah, those are absolutely two huge problems. And that's what a lot of economists, especially the free market economists are saying, should be the priority over very heavy handed rental controls. There is, of course, in a lot of these places, what you'd call nimbyism, the not in my backyard. And that is what is preventing a lot of multifamily housing developments in particular from being built around the transportation hubs to make it 
easier to get people who need to get to jobs, especially the ones who don't make all the money that they need to pay for a $600,000 apartment or in San Francisco in the Bay Area, it's more like a million for a house, pretty small house, in fact. So that's what people are saying that they need to be doing more. The emphasis should be on building more housing and building more housing around the urban hubs and around transportation hubs so that it makes it easier for people to commute to work. You know, people don't have to move further and further and further out to find a place that they can afford and then live an hour and a half from their job or don't have to pay $2 million to live somewhere where they can get to their job more easily. So in the California situation, uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, he did make a comment about housing supply. Is anything actually being done about that? You, you mentioned the nimbyism around transportation hubs. I know there have been projects that have been started or proposed rather and then stopped. On the supply side, is anything being done or is the answer simply from the government simply going to be rent control? Well, it's interesting because you see the rent control is usually something that's happened at a very local level. So it's unusual to see a statewide rent control law like the ones that that you saw in Oregon and California passed this year. But what you're, I think that what you're seeing at the local level, each jurisdiction in each city is handling the supply problem in different ways. They're trying to find ways to work with developers, to work with residents, to figure out how to get some new housing, some new supply in. But the other thing that people are making sure that they're doing is preserving supply that's already there. You know, in really wealthy areas, you have people with a lot of money who come in and maybe buy a large lot or three houses and knock down the walls and build up a large one. Or they are, are building these kind of McMansion kind of things in areas because they can afford it. That's the way the market works. And that's who developers are going to cater to. But there's zoning opportunity too, right? Because, you know, we talk about this because there's so many jobs being added, but jobs aren't added on a sidewalk. Jobs are added in commercial office space. Am I wrong in saying it doesn't seem that in a lot of these cities, they've tied commercial zoning permits to new housing requirements? In other words, if you're going to build a 20-story skyscraper all full of offices, somewhere else or maybe on the first five floors, you got to build housing. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And some jurisdictions are working on deals like that to if you're going to sell a plot of land to a developer, they make a deal where there a certain amount of that needs to be housing, a certain amount of that maybe needs to be affordable housing, in fact, in order to get the office space. However, the zoning problem is a big one in places like Palo Alto, for example, there's a lot of commercial zoning along the main drag. And there have been arguments made that that needs to be rezoned to commercial, but then you have a lot of pushback from people who own those properties, who live and work around those properties. It's never easy to make these zoning fixes, even if in the long term, it does make a difference in housing affordability. Kim, let's spread this out a little bit. Bernie Sanders has talked about a national rent control program. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has said something similar. As you said, you know, zoning, housing, rent control has usually been a very local issue, municipal level issue. It's now expanded a bit to states. Is it reasonable to think that this could be become part of the 2020 presidential campaign and that we could see an actual nationwide push for some sort of California law, but on a federal level. I think housing affordability will probably be an issue on the national platforms that the candidates are talking about in 2020. I think it's unlikely that a national rent control will come to fruition. That's because if you look at the states that have moved forward with statewide rent control, which is in itself pretty unprecedented, there's only two. It's Oregon and California. New York has increased some rent control options and had given communities the option to take advantage of those if they choose. But 25 states in the country preempt 
rent control. So I think that there's a lot more politics that you're going to go into at all levels. I mean, both Republicans and Democrats, to some extent, oppose levels of rent control, at least permanent ones. I think that there is some support for maybe imposing some temporary ones, rental controls, and other protections for renters specifically to deal with the housing crisis. But I think it's unlikely that we're going to see a long-term rental control mandate across the country. Kim Hart, editor of Axios Cities, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. My final two, right after this. Earlier, we highlighted Silicon Valley Bank's experience with helping startups. But with Silicon Valley Bank, you're also getting a partner committed to supporting you as you strive to hit your next milestones. Perhaps that's why 50% of VC-backed tech and life science companies choose Silicon Valley Bank. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is a Philadelphia-based startup called Nerd Street Gamers, which today announced $12 million in venture capital funding to build a network of esports competition and training facilities for both professional and amateur gamers. And most notably, the lead investor wasn't an investment firm. It was a discount retailer, Five Below, which will work with Nerd Street Games to build gaming facilities that are physically connected to Five Below stores. Why it matters is that e-gaming has grown faster than has its physical infrastructure. For example, some professional esports leagues have city-based teams that don't actually train or play in those cities due to a lack of facilities. This deal could help shrink that gap and increase the odds that esports legitimately competes with more traditional offerings like football and basketball. And finally, Apple has decided to pull a local mapping app that some Hong Kong protesters were using to track police movements. This came after pressure from Beijing, including the communist government's People's Daily newspaper, which had accused Apple of aiding and abetting rioters while simultaneously hurting feelings on the mainland. In a statement, Apple said, quote, the app had been used to target and ambush police, threaten public safety, and criminals have used it to victimize residents in areas where they know there is no law enforcement. This app violates our guidelines and local laws, end quote. What Apple didn't say in its statement? Anything about Hong Kong police attacks on protesters or any broader commitment to free speech or fundamental rights to protest one's government. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Jesse Lee, have a great National Angel Foodcake Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.